Hey, Seattle Nice listeners, before we get going, just a word about our sponsor for this episode. It's Gabe Magic of Magic Consulting. He's a guy who listened to Seattle Nice, liked the program, and realized that by advertising with us, he could reach folks just like you, people who are deeply invested and interested in Seattle politics and thinking of running campaigns. And Gabe can help you with political fundraising. He's got a track record running successful candidates, successful campaigns here in the region. He can also help as a campaign manager. So if you're interested in getting in touch with Gabe Magic of Magic Consulting, Check it out. We've got contact information on the show notes. Wherever you get your podcast, just look for Gabe's name in the show notes. It's Gabe Magic, Magic Consulting. And if you're liking this show, help us keep it going by advertising with Seattle Nice, donating at our Patreon page, or just liking us and recommending us to your friends and giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's the show. Welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice. I'm David Hyde, here as always with Erica C. Barnett of Publicola, Sandeep Kaushik, political consultant. And today, we're turning to you, the listener, the reader, the tweeters, for your questions. Starting with I-135 and Erica, uh, do you mind uh, both reading and then answering the question? Because I can't see it. <laughs> sure. Um, the question is from um, at SNA23 on Twitter. Um, and uh, the question is, what's the path forward for social housing on the funding side? Let's remind people, first of all, this is the social housing initiative that just passed in Seattle, as you both predicted. <laughs> I think I, I think I gave it a, uh, a very um, hedging prediction. Um, but anyway, you didn't jinx it. <laughs> I think I said I was pessimistic because that's just my, my nature. Right. So, yeah, so I-135 was the initiative that funded uh, – or, sorry. Does it's not the fund. initiative that does not fund, <laughs> um, but creates a public development authority to build social housing. And uh, so now the next step is they've got to find some funding for it. They um, There's a apparently a proviso uh, that Frank Chop uh, in the state legislature in the House um, – he's the uh, representative from the 43rd district – is uh, is trying to get for two million dollars to in startup funding essentially to start the process of um, potentially putting another initiative on the ballot actually to uh, to fund this thing through um, another progressive revenue uh, tax source um, and uh, you know I'm not uh, I'm sort of on background uh, not able to say exactly what the options are that they're considering but they are considering um, specific options right now um, the city council could actually just pass a tax, but that's pretty unlikely. So we may actually be looking at another initiative. Uh, it, it includes a provision that says the city's mandated to fund their startup costs, which they estimate at $750,000. Um, so I guess what I would say before we impose a new tax or a new progressive tax of any sort to fund this, that there be some proof of concept, right? I mean, as we said in our last episode where we discussed this before the before the vote, I'm open to the idea that this, you know, housing uh, – this new housing authority that's going to do this new kind of social housing stuff, um, m- you know, may turn out to be uh, great and a success and, and deliver on the promises that its promoters um, have made about it. But, you know, when I read the initiative itself, it's 
I, I think it's charitable to say it's even half-baked at this point. They have a, a concept and a, a sort of vision of what they want to do. And they haven't, but they're, none of the homework has been done yet. So before we just provide a kind of permanent revenue stream to this thing, I think I'd like to see some kind of larger one-time appropriation so they can do a project and proof of concept show d- d- site, build, develop, run a project, show it's working, show it's, a, it's, it, it works in the Seattle context. And then, and then let's talk about a kind of ongoing revenue stream. Well, I think, you know, I mean, there is, there isn't, I'm not sure, first of all, if that is, you know, a part of the plan. Like I, I, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to see how a single project could work since part of the concept is that it would, you know, there would be a revenue source that is, you know, bonds up front and then paying back those bonds. I mean, uh, so a, a tiny bond issue, I guess that's possible, but I, I, I don't think that it's, uh, it's what voters voted for. I don't think voters voted for one building, um, and I think that was pretty explicit in the initiative that it's not like we're going to build a building, uh, with, you know, with six units of apartments or something. But, um, you know, the other thing, just to, to correct myself and then also, um, sort of clarify what Sandeep said, um, Frank Chop is looking for 1.3 million and that's on top of the yeah. 750,000 from the city. Um, that 750,000 is, um, is two staffers and then a lot of in-kind funding. So it's not, it's not necessarily, it's not all money. So the city would provide office space. You know, they've got a lot of vacant office space right now. So, um, you know, just to just to clarify what those numbers actually are, it's not quite as much as uh, as it uh, might initially sound like. Let's move on to another question. Uh, Melissa Westbrook, longtime education blogger, education watcher, education critic, advocate. She doesn't want to know about education. She wants to know about the uptick in pedestrians getting hit by cars here in the city of Seattle. We got a press release last week from SDOT saying that the uh, Seattle Department of Transportation filled 23,000 potholes in uh, 2022. That's a lot of potholes. But what about pedestrians? And and Erica, what has the city said they're going to do to protect people who walk? Melissa wants to know. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, Greg Spots, the new SDOT director, came in saying that they were going to do a 90-day um, top-to-bottom review of Vision Zero. Vision Zero, of course, is the plan to have uh, zero pedestrian and other vulnerable user deaths um, and, and serious injuries in the city. And we're moving completely in the opposite direction. Um, pedestrian deaths, as Melissa said, are up um, and, and serious injuries are also up. So uh, so Spot said he was going to do um, a top to bottom review. And um, I was uh, watching uh, The Urbanist hosted a um, an interview with him the other night and they were asking like, so, so what's up with that? It was supposed to be done by now. We were expecting it. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, well, you know, we're, we're still just finishing up some of the finishing touches. And, you know, Bruce uh, Harrell, mayor wants to, you know, roll it out with some, some, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but basically a splashy press conference kind of thing. Um, so, you know, who knows? Um, I'm not terribly optimistic at this point that there is going to be a great master plan for pedestrian safety, but we'll see. I mean, this he's saying that it's going to be out in the next month or so. Um, but as to your point, uh, David, you mentioned potholes. Um, I mean, it does seem like the emphasis is primarily on those kind of quote unquote back to basics things that benefit drivers uh, more than uh, than pedestrians and, and cyclists and people rolling on the streets. I thought it, so I will say um, I thought it was interesting and I think 
I think somewhat controversial that uh, Seattle Times had an article the other day about a push in Olympia among Democrats to to roll back right turn on red um, uh, because of the the assertion that that's a contributor to pedestrian to accidents involving pedestrians where uh, drivers who aren't paying attention turn right on red and kind of run into somebody in a crosswalk kind of thing. Um, uh, I think that is. I don't know what the what the prospects of that bill are. I think that is controversial. It's, it's dead. Is it dead? Yeah, I'm. I I would not. I don't think be supportive of it from the stats that I saw. It didn't. Well, well, it does happen that that right turn on reds lead to uh, lead to accidents. I'm, I've almost mm. been hit by drivers turning right on red in downtown Seattle more times than I can tell well, you. I mean, yeah. it is it is incredibly dangerous that it's allowed. Well, it's been around since 1959. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot uh, of shit from now, the 50s now, that right. you know it, I would defend. State, but uh, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure I would be supportive of that. But anyway, if, if the bill's dead, the bill's dead. I think it's dead because I bet you there's not a whole lot of popular support for it now. On the on the question of pedestrian deaths and why I, I'm really curious why they're going up so much. I have right? an answer and, to that. I have an answer to yeah. that because Which KW's is, is Gracie it? Todd, a reporting fellow last year. So her story came out at the beginning of twenty twenty two. So I don't know what the latest is, but but at that time at least, the number of um incidents of cars actually hitting pedestrians had gone down, but the number of fatalities had gone up and which experts attribute to bigger cars and people driving faster, basically. So in some ways, like, I don't know, you know, is city policy working with the number of pedestrian accidents with cars going down? And, 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 and then it's a question of people are just driving too fast. I mean, is, is it as simple as that? No, I think it's a, it's a question of road design. And and when you say people are driving too fast, um, they are, I mean, but, you know, the city has been incredibly reluctant to do anything, anything about, you know, our horrible road designs in places like Aurora, Rainier Avenue South, uh, where you just have these, you know, incredibly wide highway like roads where people go highway speeds. And uh, there's no, um, you know, there, there's there's such a great distance between pedestrian crossings, people cross, you know, between uh, between crossings, because it's, you know, that or walk a mile out of your way. So, um I think that, you know, meaningful action would include road design. It would include uh, more enforcement. Um, and I know there's like a debate about whether it's equitable to use uh, red uh, or to use uh, traffic enforcement cameras. I think there's a way to make that more equitable. But, uh, you know, as someone on Twitter uh, said the other day, like parts of the left are you know turning the speeding motorist into a folk hero. <laughs> You know, in the in the kind of effort to say, like, you know, we can't we can't be penalizing people for uh, for this because it's inequitable. Um, You know, I mean, people are dying and uh, and there are things we could do that we aren't doing. Yeah. And 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 uh, right. uh, I think a focus on problem intersection or problem locations There are clearly places around the city where you're seeing repeated accidents happening. Right. And, uh, and I, I, I just want to say, but yeah. let's not, let's, yeah. I, I push back on the word accidents that I don't think they are, they're mere accidents. I think that it's a result of, you know, actions by drivers and actions by city leaders. But anyway, incidents. what word do you want to use? What, what are you saying? They're, they're, they're collisions. Uh, I mean, I, collisions. You know, okay. I was going to say, I mean, I, are, look, you, are you I, saying I'll they're use, homicides? Like, well, like, what are we saying? No, I'm not saying they're <laughs> homicides. I do think, 
I do think that I do think I mean I personally do think that traffic violence is an okay phrase to use. I use huh. it all the time. Yeah. Um, not asking you guys to use it, but I think but I think accidents is kind yeah. of um Agreed. you know Agreed. one of those words that's being phased I, out. I, yeah, I, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, I feel like you're trending towards quote unquote discursive violence here. But no, to come back to just to finish my point, because Eric, I, I didn't even get a chance to weigh in here because Erica stopped me because <laughs> I said the word accident. <laughs> you know. Uh but look, I think there are there are a number of you know we hear about intersect particular intersections and areas of the city where there are repeated accidents and injuries and those sorts of things. And I think to Erica's point, not enough has been done to really address those kind of um, danger points or or problem points in our transportation network in Seattle. The other thing I'll say, and ju- just to kind of um, put an emphasis on this, David Croman at the Seattle Times did a super interesting story, what, about a week ago about how many cars are kind of plowing off of streets and into buildings and structures around the city, which is a much more common occurrence Um than I had realized. And I actually, it happened not that long ago in Pioneer Square where a car plowed down into the subway that used to be there down on First and Yesler. But apparently this happens quite a lot. And, um, and uh, there are remedial things that could be done to sort of, in particular, again, spots around the city where it's happening repeatedly, uh, to, to lower the destructiveness and the danger, uh, to pedestrians and, and others. And, uh, and, you know, I think that needs to be taken seriously. Can I throw one other question in there for you all? Um, this session in Olympia, Alex Hudson, candidate for District 3 this year, but also the executive director of Transportation Choices, says the problem or one of the problems we have is jaywalking, uh, that it should be legal. You've heard about this. There's a bill to legalize jaywalking statewide. It would supersede all local ordinances. It's called the Free Walk to Washington campaign. Uh Jaywalking laws disproportionately enforced against black people in a neighborhoods lacking infrastructure and resources, uh, and that jaywalking laws appear to be well-intended but don't actually keep pedestrians safe. I haven't really looked into this. I haven't reported on it. Is, this, is it anything either of you have reported on can say st- something about? Because intuitively, it seems like that would not necessarily make pedestrians more safe to legalize jaywalking. Well, I mean, so so what I've heard from our reporter in Olympia, uh, Brian Packer, is that that bill is also uh, dead. Now, anything can be revived, you know, mm-hmm. uh, later on, but that that bill is not currently uh, moving forward. So, um, you know, which I which I think speaks to how hard it is to um, sort of combat car culture in any way. Um, and, uh, you know, to your point about it making things more dangerous, I mean, you know, it's a cultural issue that, um, you know, how do we prioritize the streets? How do we prioritize our city? And if the city is completely um, in the camp that, you know, we need to prioritize cars moving as fast as possible at all times everywhere, then, yeah, it's really dangerous for any pedestrian to be crossing at any point. But the law right now is that um, crosswalks uh, are all like any place where you have an intersection is a legal crosswalk. Um, and the point of this law is basically to say, look, if we're not going to design our roads uh, to be um, to be safer for people and, and to have more crossings, um, if we're not going to move expeditiously on that front, 
it should not be something that we penalize that somebody does the natural thing on Rainier Avenue South, for example, and crosses mid-block instead of walking a quarter mile out of the way one way and a quarter mile out of the way the other way to get across legally. I mean, that's an absurd. Cars would never do that. I mean, if you if you created a permanent detour where you added 20 minutes to everybody's commute um, and just said that's how it's going to be forever, uh, that would be totally unacceptable to drivers. Um, and yet that's what we expect pedestrians to do, you know, all over our cities um, forever, <laughs> essentially. And um, and we penalize them when they do something that's more logical. So I think that's that's part of the impetus for the bill. And then, you know, once you change that culture where people are actually slowing down and looking for pedestrians, um, then you know, maybe you can change the other stuff too, like the road design. Well, look, uh, first of all, uh, when, when it comes to Alex Hudson, let me just say here, I'm not a, not a neutral party since I'm, I'm doing her campaign. She's a candidate for, uh, for district three, uh, city council, the, the seat currently held by Shama Sawant. And, uh, and, and, and I freaking love Alex and everybody should vote for her and give, Give her all your money. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, she is a fantastic candidate, and will or at least five hundred dollars. Well, three hundred, three hundred. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. Right, right. Uh, under the voucher program, it's three hundred dollars. So, um, but your the, kids on, can give three hundred too, right? You can. I think you got to be eighteen. <laughs> yeah. Your eighteen-year-old kids. Yeah, yeah. David, you can give her three hundred dollars. No, I can't, <laughs> and I will not be endorsing any candidates. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I have not endorsed it in that race either. Uh, or any. And and I and then when it comes to the freaking jaywalking thing, I think Alex is hundred percent right that 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 the jaywalking statutes and the enforcement of them, they ought to go. Like I will tell you, I moved to Seattle a little over twenty years ago, and probably within my first, I don't know, three or four months of being in Seattle, I was uh I, I lived in Capitol Hill back then, right? I was writing for the stranger, and um I was walking across one of the little Cross streets to Broadway. I think it was Republican, you know, down on off of Broadway. And there was a cop, two cops standing there talking. And one of them said, Hey, you come over here. And I walked over and he's like, I'm writing you a jaywalking ticket. And I honestly thought he was joking, right? I thought that I, I just moved <laughs> here from like, no, what the fuck? Nobody. I was like, literally, it's this tiny street. There's no cars. Like this dude, like I, I was like, you're kidding, right? You know, and I started laughing and he's like, no, I'm not kidding. I'm writing you a J and I, you know, and he wrote me this ticket. It was like, it was like a hundred and forty fucking dollars, right? Yeah, you I know? had the exact same experience, Sunday. <laughs> Maybe it was the same cop. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck kind of big city is this? You're like You this crossed is like, Republican Street. See, that was it, your, it was a it, metaphorical it, experience for it, you. That Seattle was, the first was time Mayberry with jaywalking tickets back then. Like. <laughs> when I, uh, I want to tell you, I moved to Japan after, um, I went to college and it was the, and it was sort of my pre Seattle experience because in Japan, if it's three in the morning and there's a teeny street and the, and the light is red for pedestrians, people do not cross like no matter what, even more so than here. And then I, when I moved here, it was the same thing. And I was like, wow, how quaint. And, and the thing that I realized right away was it's dangerous to jaywalk, which I would do because other people not paying attention would think, oh, the light must have turned green. If you ever had that experience and they all, they all start walking, but they're not actually looking to see if there are any cars. And so you, you have to sit there and wait because you might kill another pedestrian, you know, who's not actually paying attention. So right. It is. I mean, I'm totally with you. What about the piece of this where it's also about racially based enforcement? I mean, that's a big part of the concern with this particular bill because it's, it's 
um, something like, according to advocates for this, I think it's uh, a quarter of jaywalking tickets in the state issued to black people. So Erica, you mentioned Rainier um, Avenue and, and South Seattle. I mean, is that a factor? Yeah, I mean, we disinvest in, you know, or, or never invest in infrastructure to make people safe, and then we penalize people. Um, and so, of course, it's the exact same areas where, you know, that are historically disinvested, that are historically, you know, marginalized. Um, and then we say, oh, you, you know, you didn't follow the rules here um, in the system that we built where it's, you know, very, very difficult to follow the rules. I mean, you know, there are other reasons for racially inequitable enforcement of laws, obviously, but um, the structural racism uh, being a factor. But, you know, I mean, you're also building in like a structural law breaking when, uh, you know, when you disinvest in places and you don't build in crosswalks and you don't build in traffic calming. I mean, Columbia City got traffic calming after it was completely gentrified. Um, and, you know, it is safer down there in Columbia City now. You can cross the street pretty safely because they've narrowed the road. Um, and then, you know, as soon as you get sort of just north of Columbia City, it's a highway again and just south as well. I, I think that I think there's been a kind of a broader push right on the on the left around uh, things related uh, in the kind of public safety policing arena where sort of using ticky tack offenses. uh, But, you know, when cops use sort of ticky tack offenses to to, uh, you know, um, to look for, you know, essentially to fish for greater, you know, crimes or whatever, which is, I think, something that is disproportionately happens to to uh, uh, minorities, people of color, uh, lower income people. Right. And in fact, there's a bill in Olympia and Erica, you may know the status of it. That's that was quite controversial about traffic stops. Right. That the ACLU was pushing to kind of kind of further restrict traffic stops and what the what the circumstances were where cops could could pull someone over. Uh, um, for those sorts of things. And I, I know that I, I, I heard about it because I was talking with someone from the ACLU about it a, a few weeks ago, but I'm not sure where, where that's gone. I do know there's some controversy around it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that bill, but I know the um, police pursuits bill and I, you know, I apologize. I just haven't tracked that one, Yeah. but the police, pr- police pursuits bill, um, which is, you know, sort of similar justifications and also like similarly dangerous to pedestrians for cops to be zooming through neighborhoods at top speed, um, that, um, uh, bill, which, you know, limited the number of, or the law that limits the number of circumstances when police can do that, um, is going to be, uh, changed and it's going to be broadened. So police will have more, uh, latitude to, um, to chase, uh, suspects. All right. Let's jump into question number three. This, uh, I guess came to, to Sandeep through Twitter direct message from Brad Holden, who says, I'd love to hear you talk about Tanya Wu. Tanya Wu, of course, being the latest candidate to announce in District 2 in South Seattle. Uh, Brad kind of wondering about uh, her and her campaign, which is in part predicated on her experience last year being a community leader in the International District um, who fought successfully against the expansion of a homeless shelter in the ID and kind of surrounding neighborhoods. So this is a rich topic for this uh, podcast because I have a feeling, I just have a hunch that you aren't going to agree <laughs> that much about what it what it means. But uh, who wants to start? Yeah, I'm happy to start. So 
Uh, Tanya Wu is the is really the the first serious candidate to declare against Tammy Morales. Tammy is sort of like the Seattle City Council's quote unquote other socialist, right? She's a Democratic Socialist of America person who, um, uh, uh, you know, so she's very much on the on the left of the council. She represents. Can I just can I stop you just for one second? Yeah. Yeah. Twenty nineteen. Jenny Durkin calls Tammy Morales a socialist, and the stranger does a story that says Tammy Morales is not a socialist, doesn't describe herself as socialist at campaign events, and consistently told the stranger that she's not a socialist. Clear this up for me. Like, does she now call herself a socialist? Did she back then? Like, what's the deal with that? She always said she was a a socialist and DSA candidate. I think they just... Took umbrage well, because- she's no. She said she was a member of DSA. I mean, I, yeah. I, I find this I find this debate over who's a socialist and yeah. who isn't kind of a manufactured debate. But um, like red baby, or, like or what? No, that, that's uh, what manufactured the like manufactured yeah. like you yeah. can look at what they actually do and judge them based on that rather than party labels. Since we have you know a, we we don't have a party based system, and I think it's more useful to kind of see how people vote, see what they advocate for, than to say you know she's a socialist that's bad or she's a socialist that's good. Well, I mean, she, she was referred to as a socialist, and she was like, I'm not a socialist. So you're saying people shouldn't have called her one or that she shouldn't have said, I'm just saying I, I'm not one. Well, she's, well, what she said, I mean, I don't, I don't know what she said. I think the stranger gets a lot of shit wrong. Um, so I don't know if I want to like base, you know, my opinion on, on their reporting, to be honest on this, because I think it's been all over the map, but she did say she's a member of DSA, the Democratic Socialist of America. She said that consistently um, since the most recent time she ran. She didn't say that the first time she ran. Um, and so that's that's what we know, I would say, about Tammy Morales vis-a-vis um, socialism. But I, but again, I think it's I think it's I think it's more accurate just to say she's on the left um, uh, on the council. And, um, it, you know, and I would I would agree with I would, probably wouldn't agree with Sandeep's characterization of her, but she is definitely on the left wing of the Seattle City Council now. What, what, and Tanya Wu is running against her from the right. Oh, my... I don't know. You would probably call her, you know, a member of the um, of the activist left or the uh, the structural left or whatever your term for it. <laughs> I, I can't remember all of right those now. Too. Yeah, I didn't say it. But yes, that that's all true. Movement left for sure. Um Look, I, 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 look, that 2019 debate, that, that was more less about the literal argument about whether she was socialist and more about the relationship between Jenny Durkin and the left in the city at that time. Like, like it sort of turned into a kind of, kind of little like, um, um, you know, kind of, kind of symbolic, I don't know, you know, war, uh, another flare up in the ongoing war that was sort of emerging between, between Jenny and the, and the kind of, left of the city, right? The organized left. Um, so Tanya Wu is, is a, uh, 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 she's, her family owns the Louisa hotel in the Chinatown international district. She has very strong roots in the CID. Um, I think she's, um, uh, she, and she kind of made a name for herself as a leader in the, um, in the effort by, CID residents to stop what became known as the quote unquote homeless megaplex, right? Which was a county proposal to put a number of different significant homeless related services into a, into a location there on the edge of the international district. And after a whole lot of uh, protesting and, and, um, and uproar about it, the county and the county executive essentially caved, right? And threw in the towel on the homeless megaplex. 
uh, and kind of pulled all of the all of those proposals off the table, right? And so, yeah, all 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 ninety units of of high acuity, you know, hospital level uh, medical shelter and uh, and 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 pallet shelter. I mean, homeless megaplex was, you know, I mean that was a, that was a catchy phrase that I think well, did there was an RV lot, and there were, there was a whole bunch of different. The RV stuff. lot was the RV lot was abandoned very early on. Well, there was a whole bunch of stuff in the proposal. Look, I, I'm not I'm not weighing. I mean, in. I wrote about it a lot. I know. It was it was. It was a very, you know, relatively small number compared to what is currently there, which is a large Salvation Army shelter. Right. And, and, and I'm not trying to weigh in here on the merits or demerits of the of the. You're using the term megaplex. That's just what it became. Called. I'm just saying that's what it became. Called. That's what it started getting called in the common parlance. I'm not saying it was started a, getting called. I, by I, this I, group. I, okay, you're going to out me that I, you know, I thought most of the stuff in that proposal was it was good. Right. You know, and what, what, what really troubled me about, about the pullback on it was, was the announcement from the county that not only were they not going to do it there in the CID, but now they weren't going to do any of that stuff. And we're going to repurpose the money entirely to something else. And I think that, that, that troubles me because I think a lot of those things were needed. Like, as you say, the high acuity beds and that kind of stuff, that's really important. We need that. That's a huge gap right now we have in our, our, our mental health crisis system is, in fact, in crisis. Crisis response system is, in fact, in crisis. We need that stuff. So if you're not going to do it in the CID, do it somewhere, right? You know, um, would have been my, my take on it. But uh, nonetheless, like Tanya was a leader in the effort to push back against it. And I think the feeling among a lot of people in the Chinatown International District is that there's been a kind of his, uh, a historic and unrelenting effort to cite stuff that might be kind of detrimental you know in the immediate vicinity in the community in the that district because that area because it's poor and 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 non-white and minority and they're fed up about it and they're pushing back and there's also a huge controversy about citing a light rail station as well that that we could talk about in in future but anyway tanya cut her teeth in that and now she's Challenging Tammy Morales is going to be an interesting race. Um, I do think D2, like D3, is significantly farther left uh, than the, you know, in its voting patterns than the rest of the districts in the city. So I think that helps Tammy. But all, everybody on the city council has some vulnerability. So that's going to be an interesting race. And then to Brad Holden's question, like, why is this happening? I will say there are there are a number of proof points that minority voters in the city of Seattle don't tend to perform on a lot of issues politically like uh, the w- disproportionately white progressive left. Uh, that's the reality, whether it's defunding the police or 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 some of this stuff around around um, uh, social service, you know, citing social services and stuff like that. That's just a part of the basic dynamic and reality of Seattle politics. And And, and just for context, Erica, before you go, just in case people don't realize, District 2 is the only majority-minority district in the city of Seattle. That's my intervention. <laughs> yeah. so, what, so, sorry, what was, what was the original question? I, got, I, got, I, I, I lost think the it question, a bit. The question is, what does it mean that Tanya Wu's getting into this race? Does it say something about, uh, you know, the way in which the CID is responding to issues like crime and Homelessness and could those issues become bigger issues in the larger D two race? I think Brad was just asking about the CID, but that doesn't make any sense to me. It seems like we're talking about D two as a whole. And well, and, well, that's and, yeah, that's Tanya Wu herself is you know grew up on Beacon Hill, so she got she got deep roots in uh, um, in 
in the CID, but is kind of running, a, trying to run, it seems to me, a, sort of a Bruce Harrell-esque campaign for that district. Um, yeah, so I think that that is the issue. If you see it as a, um, you know, a CID race, um, you know, you'll see it one way. And I think I think the implicit, um, you know, kind of suggestion in Brad's question is that, you know, well, the CID really wants, you know, tougher on crime policies and the CID really wants, you know, um, a, a lot of specific things that are to the right of Tammy Morales. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know um, if I would characterize the CID broadly that way, um, but also it's a very small part of the district in terms of uh, population. Um, the people that were protesting um, the uh, the new homeless shelter beds uh, were largely elderly residents of Chinatown um, who uh, who feel frightened and threatened by, uh, you know, the increasing presence of homelessness in their neighborhood. Um, and you know, and that is that is one constituency uh, within the district for sure. Um, and I think that is that is Tanya's, you know, a, a part of Tanya's constituency. But I don't know that it speaks to the whole district at all. Um, it, it is, as you said, it's a huge district. It goes all the way down to Rainier Beach, um, which is where uh, Tanya Wu lives now. And um, and encompasses, you know, a lot more um, issues, the stuff we've been talking about, about pedestrian safety um, on Rainier Avenue. That's something that uh, Tammy Morales has really been active on. Um, and I also think, um, you know, to Tanya specifically, um, you know, to her campaign and what her platform is going to be, I don't think it's going to be, you know, um, primarily about, um, you know, this homeless shelter or about preventing homeless shelters or about, you know, more cops or anything like that. I think she has a more nuanced uh, perspective than, you know, you might believe if you just characterized her as the kind of uh, the protest uh, person who who ran uh, who ran that protest. Um, you know, I think she was very smart about it. Um, but I think that, you know, she's she's going to have to sort of uh, solidify her platform a little bit more. Um, but I don't think it's going to be just about those issues that um, that Brad raised. I agree with pretty much all of that. I mean, I've had a chance to meet with and talk to Tanya uh, about um, before she got in and and uh, 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 talked with her since. And uh, I, I do think she's an she's an interesting candidate. I obviously she's got a strong base in the in the CID, but uh, and uh, I do think she's more nuanced in her in her thinking than. Um, uh, then people might realize at first glance. And I do think she's got, got to kind of fill out, yeah, her platform and sort of define herself and her candidacy a bit more as we go forward. I think if she does that, she's going to draw, my guess is she's going to draw a pretty significant contrast with Tammy and sort of, sort of make the argument that Tammy's, um, you know, essentially too far down the, I know you don't like the term, but the, the, you know, the, the Chama left or, kind of kind of world god what are people gonna do what are people like you gonna do when you can't just say shama as like the boogeyman like the well you i'm doing only saying shama because you were already objecting to my saying movement left you seem to invalidate any term i want to use because you don't don't want to admit that that there's an issue with that 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 element of the left like i find this is this weird new thing on the left where and if any word gets used to describe that then it's invalidated because no one's allowed to use words to describe us right? i, like, so, like, I just think like, movement like, left is like an academic like uh, a term that uh-huh. people don't relate then to you tell understand. me the term to use progressive left I, nobody ever I objects said the, if you the say left, progressive left <laughs> the left side of the council that's what i said yeah yeah uh-huh. 
That squishes anyway. a lot of stuff together, though. <laughs> there's there's only nine members. It's not it's not that squishy. It's kind of you're 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 trying to link her to Shama is what you're trying to do. Cammy, she linked herself to Shama when she ran in 2019. She okay. said I'm going to be a, okay. a very close okay. ally. Okay. Oh yes, so, let's hold everybody to things they say. You're when not they a run political strategist uh-huh. or anything. You're not a political yeah. strategist. And you, you what, what's interesting these, about you just it use is these that, words harmlessly. No, 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 no. Just just because if you're making an interesting point. I think Tammy thought when she was running in 2019 that she and Shama would be, you know, like this, right? I'm holding my, my, my two fingers uh, next to each other. And in fact, this goes to how Shama operates as a city council member. I don't think they're particularly close or, or, or really allied. They, you know, what are I we going to do when Shama's gone? Why are we talking about Shama? She's leaving next year. Well, Come on. I, you know, as, as you guys know, I, uh, I put a uh, reminder in my calendar for a year after her announcement that she's starting a, na- a nationwide movement and not running for council. And it says, are we still talking about Shama Salon? <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, and let's put a marker down. For, <laughs> so we'll talk in a year. <laughs> well, let's put a marker down for two years from this date and talk about how I-135 is doing, right? Like how, how far they've gotten. Oh, um, man. Rabbit hole central <laughs> at this point. Jeez. Anything else? I, I have some other questions. Anything else on District 2, though? No, other than my point is I think it's, it's an, uh, an important to understand that there are some significant differences in how um, – Voters of color actually vote in Seattle uh, oh, relative you, to the I activist mean, voices that tend to kind of dominate. Who I, I, I you, you keep saying that it's interesting and, and that's, that's going to be interesting yeah. to see. But but let me ask you, in District 2, who are you talking about? Like when you say voters of color, are you saying people who live in the CID? Are you saying I'm like, saying across – I'm saying – Like who are you saying is going to vote seen, for Tanya Wu? I'm saying I've seen multiple polls – Across the city over the last few years on issues like defunding the police that shows okay, that, so that, that white progressive voters are far more likely to be supportive and, and wealthier white voters are more likely to be supportive than 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 poorer okay, voters in communities but, of color. But not about not about this particular district. No, and not about no and I, not about this I, race. No, you, you you can't really do and samples just on the general big, issue of defunding, yeah. which is not on the table. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, but <laughs> I think I think, I think the blow up we also saw in the Chinatown I- I- International District uh, uh, comports with that and does say something about there being a difference of a, a you know a difference. Yeah, of I think viewpoint. you're conflating a lot of groups by saying uh, minority well, voters. Personally, I think you're, but, you're um, trying to wave away the reality of a. a well, a, <laughs> I, let's talk. Let's talk after the election. Right. I mean, I think Tammy no. Morales is well positioned to win. And so I think sort of you're sort of hand waving yeah. away the actual votes for her by right. saying, well, I like like polling says that minority well, you know, voters are divided on certain issues like defunding the police. Well, OK, but I'm just saying that Tammy Morales is, you know, is I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the polls. You'll probably no, tell no, me, oh, I, she's look, so I, unpopular. I actually really do want to know, because, Sandeep, you apparently have all, all this insight into all these polls, which, again, people should realize when Sandeep talks about polls, he is a political consultant, and, and we're not seeing those polls ourselves. But I am interested, you know, in this dynamic in a district where there are people moving into Beacon Hill, mm-hmm. the central area, and Columbia City who are white and relatively wealthy. And I wonder what the politics of that group of people is compared to a lot of longtime residents. I would yeah. love to know that. You know, do you have any actual insight into that dynamic in District 2 based on polling? 
I actually think that it, it's less a gentrification issue. There is a, 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 a white influx into Southeast Seattle, but that tends to be younger, uh, folks and often they're renters. These are places like Columbia City and as I said, Georgetown. And those voters tend to be, um, very progressive, right? That the, the white vote in D2 is, uh, I guarantee you a more kind of left progressive vote than the, than the, than, than the, um, non-white vote is not, which is not to say the non-white vote isn't strongly progressive as well. It is, but, uh, but I think that there's been a kind of D3 bleed over into D2 of kind of younger white. D2 really is the most progressive district in the city. Yeah. D2 and D3 are about equal. How do you run a centrist campaign and win against Tango Morales as a more centrist, you know, less progressive candidate in in maybe the most. I think, I think you run it less. Yeah. It's a good question, but I think you run it less on like kind of like ideological markers and you can run on uh, whether Tammy Morales is actually delivering any results, whether she's listening, whether she's willing to meet with, you know, a a broad array of her constituents. I think a lot of people in the CID feel and, and, and Tanya from my conversation with her felt that Tammy was not responsive to their concerns and not willing to engage was kind of coming at their issues from an ideological perspective rather than a, than a pragmatic one. So I think that's the, that's, if I was advising Tammy, I think that's the kind of campaign. I'm sorry, if I was advising um, Tanya, that's the kind of campaign I I would run rather than trying to make it about, you know, she's too far left or I'm, you know, super moderate or whatever. Yeah. And I would just say, again, um, the Chinatown International District um, is a few thousand people um, in the whole district. So I I do think that, you know, treating District 2 as if it is, you know, primarily about CID, not that uh, their concerns are not valid. Sadiq is right now. Sandeep is. He's ta- He's saying, you know, the CID, I'm responding if directly do- to what Sandeep just said. He's I'm just saying, saying that's CID what they're saying. Those folks are so Feels this way. Yeah. And I'm saying like, I'm saying like, it's a little, it's a little, you know, if you're, if that's the only thing that she's you're going to center, if that's I, I what talk she to her. ends I up talk centering, to her on, which I, I don't know that it will be, yeah. but if it yeah. is. Yeah. No, yeah. She's not doing I, I, that. I talk, you guys, she's not doing that. If Sandeep is, she's not. So just to be really clear here. But we're. But let's but but let's yeah. let's be clear that the can the campaign just started. The campaign so. just started, and let's be clear too like, that I don't think I, I think Tammy, uh, while she has vulnerability, is is significantly less vulnerable. Uh, it, it, her ratings are better in her district than many of her colleagues, right? Which is indicative of the fact that 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 D two is overall. Uh, however you break it down internally, significantly vote significantly more left progressive than the rest of the city, uh, uh, with the exception of D3. Right. So, so nobody's numbers on the council, uh, uh, you know, that were around in 2019, 2020 and kind of, kind of did all that stuff are particularly good, but hers are be- way better than a lot of other people's so, for what it's worth. So I do think, I do think, um, you know, Tammy has. It's going to be an interesting race. We'll see how how it plays out. But I, I certainly think Tammy sixty percent uh, chance could to get very re-elected. well get reelected. I have no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know. <laughs> um, let's see how the race develops. It's, as Erica says, this is like Tanya Wu just announced. Right. Let's see how she does. Erica, sixty percent right. chance uh, that Tammy Morales gets reelected. Sure, I'll take. I'll I'll I'll, I'll take any uh, any number because I'm always wrong. So sure, pin that on me. Seventy five. <laughs> I, I, I think it's higher than that, actually. But but again, right. yeah, we'll see. We'll see who gets in. We'll see who gets in. Look, 
It's yeah. the, the filing deadlines in May. So, uh, you know, people seem to be uh, really um, filing a lot earlier and announcing a lot earlier than they used I to. Did, but, I um, did. you know, there's still months go to go. I did ask ChatGPI <laughs> to yeah. write us a couple of predictions, <laughs> one in the style of New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman, the other in the style of New York Times columnist David Brooks. Friedman has Tanya Wu winning and David Brooks is saying it'll be Tammy Morales reelected. I also asked him to um, to write that in the style of his book, Bobos in Paradise. So try it yourself. <laughs> it does suggest that the two of you are replaceable. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I'm replaceable. I just As are you, you my friend. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Seattle Nice. I'm David Hyde here with Erica Barnett and Sandeep Kashik. If you want to contact us, we're on Twitter. It's at Real Seattle Nice on Twitter. And if you want to donate, please do. The donations aren't exactly pouring in, but they're trickling in in ways that is so wonderful and helpful and nurturing and necessary for this podcast to continue. So if you want to donate, go to Patreon. There's a Patreon account. Donate at any amount that's right for you. And thanks, everybody, so much for listening. But more importantly, thanks, everybody, so much for donating. Thank you.